Hello, I am John Gums, PharmD, and on behalf of CME Outfitters, I would like to welcome and thank you for joining us for today's CMEO cast episode, Your Pain Management Journey, Your Pharmacist as a Go-To Resource. As mentioned, I am John Gums. I'm a pharmacist and the Associate Dean for Clinical and Administrative Affairs and Professor of Pharmacy and Medicine in the College of Pharmacy at the University of Florida in Gainesville. With me today, I'd like to welcome my friend and colleague, Carol Matichka, who is also a pharmacist and the Assistant Dean for the Jacksonville campus of the University of Florida. Carol is Campus Director and Clinical Associate Professor at UF Jacksonville. Carol brings a wealth of experience from her work at the retail pharmacy level, as well as academia. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, John. Health literacy, knowing as much as you can about your disease and the treatment plan your healthcare provider has put together, is very important to the decisions you make and for achieving the best possible outcome. Today, we want to talk about ways your pharmacist can supplement the education that your healthcare provider has given you about your pain and pain management. Because pharmacists don't require an appointment, we want you to feel as if you can pop in and discuss any issues at any time. Today, we're going to talk about some ways your pharmacist can be a go-to resource to you throughout your pain management journey. We also want to look at our role as pharmacists in recommending and or dispensing naloxone to individuals who may be at risk for opioid overdose. So, okay, Carol, kick us off with some ways you think patients can use their pharmacist as a pain management resource. Great question, John. Thanks. So, first of all, I think one of the most important things patients should keep in mind is that the pharmacists are there and they want to help you. So one of the greatest things you can do in regards to making sure that they're there to help you is to try to use the same pharmacy for all of your medications. When you use the same pharmacy for your, all your medications, then you get to know your pharmacist, you get a relationship with them, and you can really receive great care that way. So some of the things that your pharmacist can do for you are, first of all, they can look at non-pharmacological treatment options that could work with whatever medications you're on. So non-pharmacologic are things that we do that aren't necessarily using medication, whether this could be heat therapy or cold therapy or something that might help in regards to whatever the pain is that you're having. Your pharmacist can certainly provide that information for you. A lot of the options that are out there are the best price you can think of free. So, so really talking to your pharmacist and trying to figure out what they have available is fantastic. There might be other what we call adjuvant therapies as well that are beneficial. So this might be something that helps with your chronic pain medication. So if you're on an opioid long-term, perhaps adding something like an ibuprofen or something over-the-counter, as long as that's okay and acceptable with your other medications and conditions, this might be a possibility that could help lower the amount of opioids somebody is on, for instance, for their pain, or even just to help manage their pain better. Another thing that's really important is for patients to be able to provide all of their medications to their pharmacist. So not only the stuff that they're getting that they can see in the computer, but anything that's over the counter. Because when they're talking to you about your pain management, having an understanding of everything else that you're taking is so important. The pharmacist can then help you understand why you're taking all of those things. So not only your over-the-counter medications, 
but everything that you're taking behind the counter as well, those prescription drugs. Finally, if a patient is on an opioid prescription of some sort, really the pharmacist can provide any kinds of risks or benefits that are associated with that opioid therapy. They can also talk to you about potentially what's next and if there could be a tapering, if that's something that is feasible for the patient. And when we say taper, we mean reducing the dose slowly with that individual. But just really being able to get that information from the pharmacist can be so invaluable. And pharmacists can do things to help the patient out in regards to just having a basic understanding of their opioid through various screenings, we have a tool that's called the book or the brief opioid overdose knowledge, which is a little questionnaire they can give patients while they're waiting for their prescription. This is a tool that they can walk through in regards to opioids in particular, if that's what they're concerned about, and be able to provide them some feedback on what they may understand or may not understand. Excellent ideas, Carol. I can't emphasize enough to our listeners how accessible pharmacists really are, and I think that's sometimes overlooked compared to other healthcare care providers that patients oftentimes interact with. I know I'm biased because I'm a pharmacist, but pharmacists are extremely highly trained individuals in drug therapy management, and I really encourage our listeners to utilize them as a resource in this area. Right, and they truly are the drug expert. They are there for you, and they can provide you this information, and just recognizing that I think is the first step. Yep particularly as we get into more rural areas where access to health providers is not as accessible, I think community-based pharmacists can be a tremendous resource for patients. Absolutely. So, Carol, in your experience, have you observed any reluctance by patients to talk openly with their pharmacist about their pain or their opioid prescription? Yes, I have seen reluctance, and, and I understand. I mean, it really can be challenging for patients. There's a lot of stigma that's associated with addiction, and sometimes that's challenging then for patients to go to their pharmacist and ask somewhat personal questions. And then perhaps the pharmacist is coming back and asking them personal questions about something, and they, they get a little bit stressed out about that. And I understand that. But I think there's certain things that if you keep these in mind, that'll help a lot when you're talking to the pharmacist and providing them that open conversation. So first of all, remembering it really is the pharmacist's responsibility to make sure that a prescription is valid and that it's given to the right person. Whether we like it or not, we're kind of the gatekeeper, so to speak, in regards to opioid prescriptions. So so it's our responsibility to make sure that we keep the public safe and that they don't get into the hands of the wrong person. But we're also ultimately making sure that the patient is being kept safe as well. We want to keep an eye on our patients. We want to make sure that there isn't a potential down the line of them developing some form of addiction. So we're really wanting to help in that regards. And then pharmacists have a duty to make sure that the dosage is correct. So sometimes they might be asking questions about the dosages, particularly if the dose is escalated quickly, or if somebody perhaps hasn't been on an opioid before, and we call those patients opioid naive, we want to make sure that it's not too high of a dose and want to find out what else they've taken in the past. Because there is such a high risk of overdosing if you haven't had opioids in the past. All of that can certainly make it challenging for patients to approach that pharmacist, but we want patients to understand that we are there for them. And ultimately, we certainly have their best interests in mind. And sometimes we make it sound like it's so easy to be able to always have the time, but sometimes pharmacists do seem very busy. And maybe sometimes patients feel like they don't want to bother them, but that's not the case. Just making sure 
sure that you reach out and let it, let them know, hey, I really would like to speak with the pharmacist. And almost every time you'll find the pharmacist will drop what they're doing to come over and speak with you to really be able to provide that information and have that open and honest conversation. Exactly. And I think like so many things in the delivery of high quality healthcare, it oftentimes boils down to trust and the relationship that you have with your healthcare provider. And so for most of our listeners, I think it would be great if they didn't have the opioid discussion with their pharmacist as their first discussion. So open up that dialogue with your pharmacist, have those discussions, even if it's about non-pain related issues, it helps to establish the relationship. So if and when you need to have the opioid or pain discussion with them, down the road, it'll be more like talking to a friend as opposed to someone that you've never talked to before. Great point. Thank you, John. So Carol, we've framed our discussions up to this point around the patient with pain, but there is also the family member or friend who may be concerned about an addiction problem of a loved one. How can pharmacists be a resource here? Oh, great question. There are lots of methods and opportunities for pharmacists to be a resource, particularly when it comes to addictions. We do have options for screening patients for addiction. Now, we can't screen a patient and give that information then to somebody else without their permission, so a loved one or family member. We do have to keep in mind HIPAA regulations, but it is an option. So if somebody wants to let their family or friend know, hey, maybe perhaps the pharmacist could help you with that and screen you or provide some information, then that's something that we can absolutely do. We also have something called the PDMP or Prescription Drug Monitoring Program, which looks at somebody's use of opioids. And you can look at all the medications they're on. That, again, is not something we can share with other friends and family, but perhaps it can provide that pattern so we can be on the lookout for our patients to see if there's something that's concerning in there and be able to hopefully provide them with resources. We also have the ability to provide emergency reversal agents. So for some who have heard of naloxone, this is an emergency reversal agent sort of like having a fire extinguisher in your house. But some Something that's there for someone who has had an overdose, a loved one can provide that to that individual and reverse them. We certainly advocate for our patients to their physicians if, if we feel like there's some help that's needed for them. We do monitoring of patients just for possible signs of addiction and provide that feedback back to not only their physician who's monitoring them, but also potentially get them resource that they need. And then, like I said before, there are alternatives to opioids. So if there is somebody who maybe doesn't want to be taking opioids, perhaps they've had an addiction issue in the past, for instance, then we can talk to them about the various alternative pain medications that are available for them. And then pharmacists can do different things in the community. And so providing education to the community schools or to churches, et cetera, in regards to opioid use disorders and what people should be looking for, this is great in regards to being able to get all that information out there to the community. Now, we always tell pharmacists and our pharmacy students as well, just make sure you're modeling positive attitudes as opposed to having any type of issue that might cause somebody to feel like they're being stigmatized. And so pharmacists are really there to be the one to help that individual as opposed to having them feel even more stigma. Those are excellent recommendations, Carol. I think the message, again, to the loved ones or the family members of patients in this situation are don't be afraid to speak up and realize that the pharmacist can be a resource 
for you on behalf of your loved one or your family member. So Carol, you mentioned just a moment ago, you hinted at some screening tools that are available. Can you talk a little bit more about those screening tools for addiction that can be done quickly or even in the pharmacy itself? Sure. So like for our students that we train, we provide them, uh, not only for the pharmacy students, we actually provide this training to the medical students, nursing students, vet students, to all of them, um, what's called SBIRT training. And that actually stands for screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment. So pharmacists learn about some of those screening tools that are available, and then what to look for and how to then provide some type of referral for that patient to some sort of treatment that might be available or treatment options if necessary. Necessary. A couple of the tools in particular that you see quite a bit that are utilized are called the assist in the craft, but they ask various questions of the patient just to get a feel for, is there some sort of addiction risk that we could potentially help guide you in the right direction? Or perhaps it's as simple as if they screen and they're doing a great job and it doesn't look like there's any risk, being able to provide that feedback. No, it sounds like you're doing well. You're doing exactly what you need with your medication, et cetera. And that feedback can be extremely helpful for patients as well. Great information, Carol. Thank you. For patients or family members that are prescribed opioids, there is a risk for overdose. Many patients are probably familiar with the reversal drug naloxone or Narcan. Carol, what do people need to know about Narcan? Great question. This is something that I emphasize to any patients or caregivers when we talk to them is that the first thing we need to recognize is what the signs of overdose are. So you might have that Narcan available and making sure that you have it is very important. And really anybody could carry Narcan just in case they come across somebody who has an overdose, but particularly if you have a family member that you're concerned about. So some of those first signs that they'll look for of an overdose might be, are they unresponsive? Do they have pale skin or blue lip or nails? Is their heartbeat slow? Do they have irregular breathing or maybe they're not breathing at all? Some individuals have what we call sort of that death rattle, so it sounds like they're choking or gargling or snoring. And perhaps they're vomiting. It's not quite as often, but we have seen some patients who will vomit when they overdose, but certainly appearing like they've passed out to some degree. Something to keep in mind is that this isn't a cure. It certainly reverses the dangers of potentially dying from the overdose, but it's not a cure. We need to get medical help in as well. And so call Calling 911 is so important in an overdose situation. We have three different formulations that are available. So once you recognize that a person has had an overdose, then understanding and knowing what product you have available is very important. So not only just picking it up from the pharmacy, but looking to see, is this an injection that I was given? Is this what's called an auto-injector, where it kind of walks you through the steps of actually giving it to the, the person? Those are relatively expensive, but if insurance covers them, they're very easy to use from that perspective. And then we have prepackaged nasal sprays is another option that patients or caregivers can use for an individual. And those are very easy, particularly if you don't want to give an injection. So knowing what you have available is then the next step in making sure that you've got it readily available. And then what you can do to the person if it seems like they've had an overdose is we do what's called a sternal rub. So you take your knuckles and you just rub it right into the sternum. And if you can even do that to yourself, you can feel it. It really hurts when you do that. So doing that to an individual who you think has had an overdose they don't move and they're not stirring and not groaning, then that more so emphasizes that they most likely are having an overdose, particularly if they're on opioids. So at that point, either have somebody call 911 
or try to call 911 while you give the naloxone. If you're not able to do that, then making sure that you get the naloxone, but calling 911 is so unbelievably important. People might be on an opioid that's a very long-acting opioid, and if we don't get somebody over there to help right away, then the naloxone only works for a short period of time, and then they can slip back into that overdose. Or perhaps it's not an overdose. It appears like an overdose. So people who have really low blood sugar, sometimes it looks like an overdose, and it's not. So getting help as soon as possible is a very important step. But then finally, administering the naloxone. Know how to give it. Know how to give that ahead of time if possible. If not, it's relatively simple, but I know it can be stressful in, in an overdose situation. Exactly, Carol. Everything is heightened in an emergency. I was wondering, Carol, the CDC or the Center for Disease Control recently released some information that is pertinent to this discussion, and they talked about the benefit of naloxone and how it has been credited for fewer opioid deaths. Could you just say a few words about that report? Oh, absolutely. So for sure, we're seeing a decrease in opioid deaths, not necessarily in the overdoses, but not, of course, everybody dies from an overdose. But it has absolutely decreased the number of deaths that we're seeing. And that's because of naloxone being available. And being in the state of Florida here, pharmacists are able to provide that without a specific prescription from the physician. So please take advantage of that. Look into whether or not in your state that's something that's available and you're able to do. If not, just go ahead and get that prescription from the physician as well. Make sure you have that. Remember that that's your safety net there, having that available. And perhaps it's for somebody who you're not even concerned about them being addicted or overusing their opioids. Anybody can have an overdose. So unfortunately, a child could get a hold of somebody's opioids and take some of it. Or a pet. You can actually give naloxone to pets as well. So just having it available is super important. Interesting insight into the, the pet situation. That brings up a question that you somewhat already answered, but let me just go ahead and, and ask it anyway so that our listeners know for sure. And it's a straightforward question. Do people need a prescription for Narcan? That absolutely depends on the state they live in. So I would say everybody should check with their pharmacist and see if they do need a prescription. The other thing to keep in mind is some states allow pharmacists to give naloxone to a family member as well instead of just the patient. So perhaps if it's somebody who's worried about another individual who might overdose, then check because you might be able to pick that up for them as opposed to it just being for the patient also. Right. Excellent information because every state is a little different. So I think listeners should appreciate the fact that they do need to know what's going on in their individual state. So without going into too much technical detail, Carol, I know that there are medications out there that can also assist with the underlying opioid problem. If someone does have an opioid opioid addiction. Can you talk briefly about some of the treatments, alternative treatments that they can use? We do have available treatments, and we call that medication-assisted treatment, or MAT. Some patients might have heard it called MAT before. And they really can help keep individuals in remission if they need it. There are various formulations that are available, various medications. One of the things, though, I think that really needs to be emphasized is the medications alone really shouldn't be the only thing that's utilized. Individuals who have opioid use disorder, we call it, or addiction to opioids, 
really need proper counseling and care from trained specialists in substance use disorder. So making sure that they're getting the full gamut of not only the medications, but also having others that they can get counseling and treatment from really provides the ultimate best outcomes for those individuals. Now, not unique to this discussion, but true for all medications is the importance of safely storing and disposing of them. And that's particularly true for anyone who's been prescribed an opioid. So Carol, can you share with us why this is so important in this particular discussion? Sure. I think oftentimes when we think somebody uses something such as an opioid that they're purchasing it off the street or maybe they're buying it from a drug dealer, etc. But oftentimes when people misuse a medication, particularly opioids, it's because they were given it by maybe a friend or a family member or they stole it out of somebody's medicine cabinet and they've taken it from somebody. Those are actually the biggest ways in which people get a hold of them. Particularly, we see this in our adolescents and a lot of the overdoses that we see in adolescents occur because they've gotten it from maybe their grandmother's cabinet or their parents' cabinet, et cetera. So it's so unbelievably important that those opioids are stored safely and then when they're no longer needed, making sure that they're disposed of properly. What's the best way to dispose of unused opioids? Good question. First of all, if you do have opioids in the house that you're still using, making sure that you have some type of lockbox or some kind of secure location so that you make sure nobody else gets a hold of them. I've also heard of people coming in to do work on your house that will look medicine cabinets. So I never recommend that opioids be kept in medicine cabinets. But once you're done with a medication and you need to get rid of it, then making sure that you know the safest and the best way to do that is super important. Uh, the DEA actually has various registered collection sites in which they take back these medications um, because you can't bring it back just to your pharmacy. I know that often happens is somebody would like to bring it back to their pharmacist, but unfortunately by law, they can't take that back. So finding out where some of these take back locations are can actually be done just by looking it up on the internet. There's a website called takebackmymeds.com and it'll provide details of where you can bring those medications back. I know that here in Jacksonville, Florida, our sheriff's office actually has a box 24 hours a day that people can securely bring back medications. So sometimes it's as simple as being able to go to somewhere like that. There are also pharmacies in the area that may have, and it depends on the location. We have a couple here in this area as well. They're basically like these giant secure bins that you can bring them to, and actually they will dispose of those as well. Now, if you don't want to bring it somewhere, you can dispose of it in household trash. I don't recommend that quite as much because I think that they can still be gotten a hold of to some degree. I recommend that more so for non-opioids. Putting those medications, mixing them up with maybe used coffee grounds or old kitty litter, something that people aren't going to want to dig through necessarily, is a great way to just get that sealed up and, and throw it in the trash with that. Now, I never recommend you throwing away just the, the bottle with the label because it's got all your information on it. So just make sure that you take those out of the bottle, mix it up with the, the kitty litter, for instance, and then dispose of that label without anybody being able to get that information from you, your personal information. We actually, now it's really neat. There are these drug deactivation pouches that are available and most pharmacies carry them now. One of them is called the Tura brand. And you can actually take 
take the medications, put the pills in there, and when you introduce it to the contents of the bag and follow all the directions, it basically neutralizes that medication or that opioid. And at that point, then you can very safely just dispose of it in the trash. And they're only 2 or $3 per bag, so that is certainly an option. Yeah, those are some great practical tips, Carol. Thanks. I think the other thing that is w- worth pointing out here is that for those of our listeners who are in areas where pharmacies do provide the bins that you can just drop off the medications, this is a no questions ask activity. So these bins are typically not located inside the actual you know, dispensing part of the pharmacy. They're usually located near the dispensing part of the pharmacy, but accessible to anybody who's not even wanting a prescription filled that day. So this is something that you can do without necessarily having to speak to anybody. You can simply go and drop that off. And if you choose not to speak to anybody, that's totally fine. I think people should be aware that that's one of the options that they have available to themselves. And they don't necessarily have to get into a dialogue with anyone about it just because they want to return their opioid prescription. Very good point. So Carol, let's wrap up with our SMART goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. What do we want to leave our customers, patients, and friends regarding the pharmacist as a resource? First and foremost, get to know your pharmacist. Get to know them. Communicate with them. Using the same one is fantastic. Just as you have your regular doctor, having your regular pharmacist. And then understand that there are questions that sometimes they do want to ask or they need to ask about your health. And that's very important to make sure that they keep you healthy. There's certainly a wealth of knowledge and they can give you all types of knowledge and information, not only about opioids, but alternative treatments to opioids as well. They can also be an addiction resource. So if you know others who maybe are suffering from addiction, or if you yourself are concerned about some of your opioid use, go to your pharmacist, talk to them, see what type of resources they have that they can provide. And then finally, you know, we talked about overdose and having Narcan as something that's available. Find out if your pharmacist can provide that to you and make sure you have it available. And then lastly, if you have opioids and you're no longer using them, don't just save them for a rainy day. Get rid of them. Figure out some way to dispose of them. There are many different alternative ways and go ahead and do that so that they don't get into the wrong hands. Yeah, just a wealth of practical information, Carol. Thank you so much for your time today, the relevant, valuable, and insightful information that you were able to provide our listeners. I truly appreciate it. Always happy to help.